Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 152 with my guest, Lindsay. This episode is sponsored by NatureBox, a monthly subscription service that delivers amazing snacks straight to you. They uh, have no... High fructose corn syrup, no hydrogenated oils, no artificial flavors or colors. Smarter snacks, an amazing array of flavors. Go to naturebox.com to get 50% off your first box with promo code HAPPYHOUR. It's time to get nutritionist-approved snacks that you can feel good about at naturebox.com today for 50% off with promo code HAPPYHOUR. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Two hours of honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. The show is not meant to be a substitute for professional counseling. It's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Please go check it out. There's a forum. You can read blogs. You can take surveys. You can see how other people took the surveys. You can... um, you can support the show by going there, um, all kinds of stuff. Let's get to... Do, 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 do. Oh, I want to mention uh, before we go to the the um, interview with Lindsay today, this was recorded uh, well over uh, a year ago, and I was in a different place then than I am now. And I was a little... One of the reasons why I've held back on, on airing this episode, because I feel like when I went through my mom's stuff... Um, I was interjecting it into so many of the episodes because I literally, it was all I could think about and, and talk about because I was in so much pain. And this was one of those episodes. Um, and um, I don't, if if I had injected it more into this episode, I, I wouldn't be airing it. But I feel like it's... It, it's enough that it made me a little uncomfortable as I edited this this together, but it's not so much that I feel like I ruined the episode. So, um, so I'm airing it. And L- Lindsay's story is is in many ways similar to 
to mine and I think her I think her story needs to be needs to be told. So um there you have it. <laughs> Disclaimer approved by a lawyer. I want to read um an email that I got from uh do 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 what does she call herself? I forgot what she wanted to call herself. I had it written down somewhere, but I'll just read it. She writes, uh, I write to tell you that over the last year and a half, through much therapy, I've begun to heal. I've never in my life felt so free, so scared, so vulnerable, so unhinged, so hopeful, exclamation point. I don't think I'd have been able to make, uh, to take the leap to go through with seeing a therapist in the first place if you hadn't made it seem so, quote, normal in your podcast. This is my favorite type of email to get. Um... This is a survey. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by Roddy. Um, He is uh, in his 20s. About his depression, he writes, There's an anchor around my ankle, but the bolt cutters are just outside my grasp. About his anxiety, having to give up tickets to your favorite band because you're too scared you won't fit in the seat. And uh, in third grade, everyone around me had Lunchables while I was sitting by myself drinking a Slim Fast. That's heartbreaking. Uh, this is from a woman who calls herself Spats Shambolic. Um, about her depression, she writes, It feels like I'm a suicidal fish in a shallow bowl of water. I'm, I constantly try to drown myself or smash the bowl to escape. About her anxiety, It's like a smoke detector running out of battery that I can't claw off the ceiling. A loud, incessant reminder that I am terminally useless. About her anorexia, the physical emptiness becomes a tingling, delicious high. And about being a sex crime victim, I have one night stands with older men to exert the power I failed to show when I was a victim. And then this sweet little note, uh, any ideas or comments to make the podcast better? You reached an Irish girl living in Am- Amsterdam. I'd say you're doing pretty fucking well. Thank you so much. Um, same survey filled out by Melissa. About her depression, she writes, paralyzing. It's watching myself regress and seeing everyone else pass me by. That I really related to that one. Um, This is by, uh, same survey by Fog City Mike. And about his OCD, he writes, leaving the flat when alone and making sure the coffee pot, oven, desktop, phone, and toilet are all off. Also pushing and trying the locked door lock on the front door after locking it to be secure and uh, finally I want to read um, an email I got from a uh, from Danielle and she writes I'm a licensed clinical social worker in Georgia and work as an outpatient therapist at a community mental health center I primarily work with clients who have addiction issues or dual diagnosis this week I lost my second client this month to suicide I've been sad and feeling hopeless all day I kept thinking why do I do this work It certainly isn't for the pay. I love my clients, and I usually love my job, but it has been a difficult few weeks. It's difficult for me to grasp that I will never see these clients again and that their pain was so great that death was the only option they saw. On my way home from work today, while still feeling hopeless, I listened to an old podcast of yours that I had downloaded. My spirit was immediately renewed. I wanted to thank you for reminding me why I do this work and why I can't imagine doing anything else, even on days like today. Thank you so much for that, Danielle. You know, I I have days um, where I certainly, um, that darkness, that darkness comes in. And I have to say, when 
when I get an email like that, it really, um, I don't know, that, that sense of purpose that, that, that we get and reminding us that, that we're not alone. I never, it never doesn't lift me up. And uh, I heard somebody say in my support group tonight, this guy said, life isn't a bowl of cherries, but there are cherries in it. Oh God, I wish I didn't need to take meds. Flat out fucking auditory hallucinations. I would literally wake up running from my bed. I'm afraid that I'll pass my anger on to my son. I thought the gunman was my father. Afraid of not being able to make a living. Um, that's probably going to break his heart if he hears it, but that's that's the truth. They committed him to Bellevue. There was this fear that if I feel this pain, I wish someone could see what was going on and just help me, that it will kill me and I will die and I will drown. You can't think your way out of a thinking problem. And I cried the way that a baby cries. Cried like an animal. It makes me so mad at myself that I do that. The burden of perfectionism. And that's when I got to therapy. Let's talk about that. So I was like, fuck it, I'm alive. I don't give a shit about anything. You are a shining example of what is best about human beings. I'm worried that the uh, Russian militia is coming over the hill. I know that, uh, but uh, Alice, how you feeling? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with Lindsay, who is a uh, listener who was referred to me by a, uh, a former guest, and um, or actually, you're you're friends with the with the former. Yeah, guest. I'm friends with it. Well, I'm friends with a number of former guests just because we're we sort of run in the same circles. Okay. Um, I'm actually surprised that I haven't met you before, <laughs> but yeah, I I reached out to you because my friend was on the podcast, and you shared a little bit of your story with me and I immediately felt like I've got to have her on because that is exactly what I fucking go through. Which um, is exactly why I wrote yeah, you. Yeah. Um, where would be a good place to, you're how old? 31. Where would be a good place to start with your story? I guess, uh, what, what, what was the environment like that you were, you were raised in? Uh, well, my parents divorced when I was five. Uh, Always a good age. Oh yeah, the the perfect age. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, in a way, it, it sort of was because I was mostly just used to them being apart. I, apparently, I didn't react to it well, but I have no memory of that. I um, saw a, su- a school counselor for a little while. I have one memory of going in to see them, um, but in my mind, I thought it was just like compulsory. I thought that was just something that the school did, but I guess I was like throwing away my homework and I thought I had to be perfect and I was thinking it was my fault just like any other kid. I was just going to ask you did you did you feel responsible for I guess I did. Up? I didn't remember that, but my mom tells me that's what was what was going on and um that's got to be heartbreaking for a parent. Oh, I'm sure. I I can't imagine how my mother felt. Um but she was also r- really sure she was doing the right thing. In divorcing because my dad just wasn't he wasn't abusive he just wasn't present he just wasn't he wasn't a guy who should have been having kids he thought that he wanted them and but he really just wanted to be kind of like 50s dad like he goes to work and mom takes care of the kids and he gets weekends you know from what you shared with me I'm not so sure I would say that your dad wasn't abusive I don't think he was consciously abusive um, I should say that's that wasn't what fueled the divorce, but yeah, I, mean, my, I see. My back, is, back then, my, he wasn't yeah. abusive. Gotcha. Yeah, my um, and he he may have been, but I don't think to, to this day my my mom isn't aware 
of a lot of things. How you feel about yeah. him. Yeah. Um, what's your relationship like with your mom? Great. I love my mom. She's really... I I say a lot that I'm I'm still glad I have one awesome parent and one shitty parent <laughs> rather than two mediocre ones because <laughs> at least I have yeah. some example of, of what intimacy what normalcy and yeah a re- a truly like compassionate loving relationship is that's awesome yeah me and my mom and my younger sister are all really close do you feel like you have the capacity to be comfortable with a partner who loves you I'm certainly getting there. I have uh, the first really long-term relationship I've ever been in right now. It's a little over three years, and we're just now talking about moving in together. And he is really gentle and kind and patient, and I've been able to work through a lot of my intimacy problems because of that. And. So I'm I'm really mm-hmm. lucky in that regard. Um, well, let's talk about your dad. Sure. Well, um, I'll so. And this so is one of the parents, one of the reasons why we're not using your last name is you don't yeah. you don't want him to um, hear this. Yeah, I have no qualms about people knowing this about me, but I he's he's trying to put his life back together. So I would hate for this to get back around to him and and get in the way of that mm-hmm. um he's an, an alcoholic yes yeah real bad one in the last five or seven years um and it wasn't until about seven years ago that i realized he was an alcoholic uh, i just thought he was a dick <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean it was it was a known fact that he's an asshole but yeah um and not in a just like a just real pretentious and uh i mean he's a narcissist he's a really classic example of a narcissist he's not he's sort of the like you can laugh at what an asshole he is but but then also there are the shades where he did actually uh fuck me up a little bit yeah when what are your first memories of feeling like I don't know if I like this dude. Um, I, I mean, what were your your first negative feelings towards him? The first time I felt I was not safe around him was when I was nine, and he came to visit. Oh, I should say, my mom moved my sister and I um, to to live with our grandmother a couple years after they divorced. So I grew up with my mom, grandma, and younger sister. So he had to fly a few hundred miles to visit. And he always he always planned a work event to coincide with those visits, uh, which I never knew growing up. I didn't find that out until recently, which is an example of him being a dick. Um, like, we didn't warrant seeing unless he had other things <laughs> to do as well, like multitasking visits. Um, so he had this... But you were in his you were in his daily planner, which yeah, which is very kind of him. It's really thanks for penciling us in, Dad. Um, But he and I thought that we had a good relationship. Like I wasn't overly fond of being around him, 
both my sister and I preferred mom. My younger sister to a much larger extent, like we would go visit during the summers for a full month and she would cry every night. Just for hours she would cry. And would she tell she you why? She didn't want to be there. Cause she, it was constant. I miss mom. I want to be with mom. I hate being here. I want to be with mom just again and again for hours. And I would have to hold her and comfort her. And I didn't. How much younger is she than you? She's three years younger. Like, I didn't get why she, I mean, she's sort of dramatic, but she really, really didn't like being there, and she really missed our mom. Thank God she had you there. Yeah. I mean. And she's really sweet about about being grateful to me for being there. It sounds like you guys are pretty close. Yeah, really close. I, I feel more of a motherly instinct about her. Like, like I've always felt like I needed to protect her, and and I sometimes wonder now, like knowing how deep my dad's dysfunction goes, like how much of her reacting that way was an instinct about something, and how much of my feeling protective over her was a subconscious instinct about him. Um, she could probably read on your face and your body language that you weren't comfortable on your dad too. And I think she just she, she just never liked the guy. Yeah, she just didn't. She never trusted him. She she always says that she, she never really liked him. What were some of the things he would do that would make you lose faith or trust in him? Well, the first time I felt uncomfortable was when he came to visit, and he, there was this. Uh, like work dinner on a, a cruise on like a yacht on the bay and he had a plus one and so he took me um i was always trying to have a relationship with him more than my sister and so i, I saw him a little more than she did i went to visit maybe once more or i'd go to th- things like this with him and he was drinking on the ship and I just remember starting to feel uncomfortable like he wasn't touching me inappropriately but every time he touched me I wanted to throw up and I can't it was just like all of a sudden this energy was coming off of him like we were on an actual romantic date and it made me sick to my stomach and I was nine and all of these ladies around are like seeing us together and like so cute you're on a date with your daughter and every time they used that word I wanted to like scream at them to shut up because I just I and and this is when you wrote to me about this I was like thank god somebody else feels like I do um and I never knew that anybody else felt that way without having an actual incident of molestation that you could just feel grossed out by a parent. Yeah. And as we've talked about, I think so much of it is the way their eyes look at us. Yep. That was the the phrase you used that I had always thought that drinking me in thing where we'd step off the plane to go visit him and he would just be scanning us up and down and I'd feel 
naked somehow. And I couldn't ever, I wouldn't have even known to try to put that in words to my mom. Like, hey, mom, <laughs> dad grosses me. Dad checks me out. Dad, yeah, I feel like dad's checking me out. There is an energy that, uh, that, that parents who have inappropriate feelings towards their, their kids, there's an energy and what they do with their eyes and comments that they make that are so damaging. Yeah. They're so damaging. And I don't know how to put into words because I've like had mother figures in my life who were very affectionate towards me, but I never got the least bit of a sexual vibe. My yeah. mother-in-law was I've that had way. had uncles and cousins who were, are men never felt the least bit threatened by And them. they could be beaming when you walk mm -hmm. into the room, but there's just a way that they act around you that feels protective and safe yeah. and, and awesome. Yeah, where they can be looking at you with the same intensity but a different energy. Yeah. And I just was never getting the right energy from my dad, and I didn't totally realize it. There was that time that night, and then I just put it out of my mind, and I didn't really think about it. I just knew I didn't feel comfortable around him. And then there, there would be other things like that weren't about that, where it was just like, you don't know how to be a dad, especially not to to girls we're like you know he'd flip out if we got toothpaste on his rug or he thought he made the best mashed potatoes in the world and one th and they were awful it was like eating sand but and one and one time he'd made them and i was like great mashed potatoes again and i accidentally spilled my grape juice on them and i was like cool now i don't have to eat the mashed potatoes he thought i did it on purpose and he forced me to eat them anyway just be like why why what are you proving right now like you just don't know how to be a normal dad you know he strikes me as somebody who whose god for lack of a better word is control that he had this illusion oh, yeah. that if he could have everything the way he wanted yep he could relax he's definitely ocd and I, I'm OCD, like diagnosed, How did went through a group therapy session recently, like, so I get it. How, how talk about your, the arc of your OCD. Um, well, I think part of it was in when I was little and, and they had just gotten divorced and I wanted to be perfect if I wasn't if I like fell below my own standards, then I would just wreck it. Like if I didn't get my homework just exactly right with perfect handwriting, instead I would just throw it away. I wouldn't even turn it in. I'm like, well, this is worthless. So very, very bi binary about, mm -hmm. about black things. Black and white. Everything was black and white with me. And uh, there's a book that I've recommended uh, for people to read about um, narcissistic pam. Uh, parents or caregivers called the narcissistic family and it's by the uh, a couple and their therapist and it's written for therapists but it's completely readable and um, digestible for us common folks 
and one of the hallmarks of the child whose parents place their needs ahead of the child is we suffer from black and white thinking and perfectionism and a, a host of other things. That's um, interesting. But it was so comforting to read that and go, oh, okay, this is a thing. This is a thing. It wasn't just that I couldn't deal with it. It's that most people turn out that way. What did your OCD progress from there? Oh, yeah. Um, when we moved to live with uh, my grandmother, uh, I started getting a lot of flea bites, and I would compulsively pick at them. And then the flea bites stopped, and I didn't do that anymore. But then um, a sort of perfect storm uh, came about when I was uh, 11 and 12, which was... Um, so I was diagnosed with uh, scoliosis when I was six, and then when I was 11, I was diagnosed with something called uh, Arnold Carey malformation. Can you My, spe spell that for our transcriber? Yeah, so Arnold, like the name, and then Chiari, it's C-H-I-A-R-I. My um, cerebellum is too big for my skull, or my skull didn't form to fit my cerebellum, whichever way you want to look at it. And so my brain was literally coming out of my skull through my, like out with my brainstem and clogging my spinal fluids. Oh my God. And so they discovered that, like I went, I went to see my orthopedic surgeon and I'd been going to him for years at that point and I had a back brace and the whole deal. And he was just testing my flexibility and he said something really casual like oh i was reading in newsweek that some kids who have scoliosis have this too especially when they are as inflexible as you are and so he referred me to a neurosurgeon and i got an mri and sure enough i had this other thing too which if it had gone unchecked could have you know paralyzed me wow um so the scoliosis ended up being this weird blessing. So when I, I was diagnosed with that when I was 11, so uh, August in August when I was 11, I had a skull decompression surgery, and they sawed off half of my skull and scraped out a layer of it to fit my cerebellum and then fused it back on and fused oh my top my two vertebrae together and God. drained the cysts that had formed. So that happened, and it was, and so I was in the hospital, and they had to like shave half of my head, and 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 my mom and dad were there, and it was incredibly painful. But so at the same time, I was hitting puberty, and starting to get really depressed. Um. I was recently diagnosed as being bipolar, but like the bipolar two, two. or yeah. the other one where it's like um, electric, not as extreme. Electric boogaloo, yes. I like to call it. Uh, bipolar two. Shout electric out to boogaloo. Jenny in Bloomington who coined that. <laughs> bipolar two, it, money like, never sleeps. Yeah, uh, or she passed that along to me. <laughs> That's uh, always the go-to uh, sequel name. 
Um, but so, so I was starting. To, that was starting to come out. Before you get to that, what were the symptoms of that you could feel from the uh, Arnold? Nothing. I no see. symptoms. Does it cause scoliosis or sometimes? Sometimes. Okay. Not in my case. I just okay. had both. Um, I, d- I don't see uh, your scoliosis. Uh, is, uh, yeah, that's because the following year I had uh, spinal fusion. Okay. <laughs> and I have titanium rods in my back. Really? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I have perfect posture now. And is flexibility an issue for you? A little bit. I can't. I, I don't. Like I bend in sections. I don't curl mm-hmm. like most everybody does because everybody goes a vertebrae by vertebrae. Um, and I just have to go in chunks has this affected your pay in the circus um it went up (laughs) it's more interesting and now i have the scars to show off so i just wear a backless dress and (laughs) it's great uh come see me barnum and bailey and are are you still going by the name bendy no no that went out the window unfortunately now i go by the uh name sturdy that was actually a nickname of mine in college. Some friends called me Sturds. And another it. friend of mine named my rods uh, Stuart and Serling. <laughs> so it's been, I, to cope with... Does it help to, to be able to laugh about that oh, with yeah. friends? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to have a career in comedy, so it's definitely like a coping mechanism. Yeah. Um, and I used to... Like at parties, he'd be like, "Hey, want to see my scar?" And I just show people all the the scar on my head. I have a seven inch scar uh, on the back of my head. I have a seventeen inch scar on my back. I have four one inch scars on my side, and then I have a one four inch scar on my hip, where they took a bone graft. Wow! Because they had to take out some vertebrae, and then they replaced it with some hip bone. And so that was all happening while I was going through puberty and uh, starting to deal with depression and uh, just starting to feel endlessly like hopeless. And, and I felt an intense sense of guilt about what my health problems uh, were putting my family through because my mom was like, in pieces about it like I'm sure I would have been too like your 11 year old is getting her head sawed open that had had been terrifying it was killing her and she couldn't do anything to help me she she like broke down crying by my hospital bed she just felt terrible and helpless did you ever feel have you ever felt Sadness for your 11-year-old self? Yes. Can you talk about that? Um, I actually, I used to fantasize about uh, going back in time and uh, kidnapping myself at age three and raising myself. How'd you do? Uh, Really well, (laughs) because I knew what I was thinking. (laughs) I could call myself all my bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, when I was a teenager, that was one of my daydreams was there ever any type of catharsis like you know really letting go of the tears and the sadness about Um, about what that little girl went through i think in the last 
five years or so, I cr- I've cried more in the last five years than in the like twenty years before that. Well, that's because you're a crybaby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's because I'm a lady. Because <laughs> I'm a big dumb woman, and I just cry at anything. Now I cry at pink song that duet with the guy from fun it just comes on the radio and if i listen too closely to the lyrics i just start sobbing in the car and i run so touching (laughs) it's just so it's so lame but and ironically the only song you don't cry to is someone like you by adele yeah just leaves me cold you actually beat people when that leaves me cold Uh, who cares go ahead you're you're uh, on lady you're about to say something um i don't know what was I about to say? Um, oh, I just, I, I'm appreciative now of the fact that I'm feeling emotions instead of just stamping them down. So around, so all these surgeries are happening. I'm going through puberty. I'm depressed. And then I go to visit my dad by myself for a weekend. And we go out to eat. And this is about the the closest things ever came to crossing a line he was uh drinking and ordering me drinks i was 12 really and and that continued for years like we would get off the plane to go visit him and he would immediately pour us a glass of wine when we got when we got to his house Lindsay, that's not coming close to a line that's over a line yeah which i did not know at the time you know, and I don't even I didn't even remember a lot of this happening I just had a because we- he was he was drinking and he was opening up about how terrible his father was because he had a, an awful childhood he has two sisters and I I don't even know all the things that his dad did to those kids because they are fucked up like in what way? Um, one aunt has a gambling addiction. My dad's an alcoholic. My other aunt uh, is an alcoholic as well and addicted to Oxycontin and just has extreme health problems and mental problems. And they all are OCD. And I don't think a single one of them has fully dealt with their childhood. And so he was opening up about that, and all I could think was, oh, I'm so mature, good for me, like, that my dad feels comfortable enough to talk about this with me. And I'm not thinking about the fact that I'm 12 and he's drunk. Kids never do. It's a high. I remember getting uh, a certain high from my mom confiding in me, because it's like, oh, that's all you want when you're a kid, yeah. is to be an adult. Because they have all the power and the privilege. And of course that's all I wanted from him because he was so, like, standoffish. So, my my sister and I slept in the same bed as my mom for a good many years because it was just a source of comfort with the, the big move and living with our grandma. And, we, and that felt fine and healthy and I have no shame about that like I slept in the same bed as them until I was uh 
until I was 11 and I had all those surgeries and then I had to sleep <laughs> separately because they might have hurt me. Um, and then I just, I never went back to sleeping with them because I'd hate puberty anyway. Um, and so when we were little, we would ask, me and my sister would ask to sleep in the same bed as our dad. And he always said no. And then this trip, he asked, oh, do you want to sleep in my bed tonight? And I remember being like, well, that's weird. <laughs> Why, when my sister's not here, would that would that be an option? Like when it's just you and me. And I didn't feel fully comfortable, but I also didn't feel comfortable enough to say no. And so I slept in the bed with him, and he like spooned me all night, and I just lay there frozen, like afraid to move because I was afraid something was going to happen because I, I could tell that he was drunk, even though I didn't know what that looked like. Were you drunk? I don't think so. I don't think I had a lot. I know he ordered me a drink. Or I think memory is so evil that way because I think that he ordered me a drink. But I don't think I was drunk. In a lot of... Because I was at least sober enough to be uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of kids who then grow up as adults feel like you can't have any compassion for yourself until you know all the facts and all the memories come back and they're clear. Yeah. But why would you a kid that. why would a kid make that up? And I mean just from you describing it to me that's like what kids skin wouldn't crawl. Yeah. So it's just, it was probably the worst year of my life because at the same time, I had developed a skin condition on my arms, which at least 10% of the population gets. And it's more common for girls. It's just your dry skin cells get clogged in your hair follicles and it creates like sort of a pimple. Not a big deal, except for to my mom and dad for some reason. I think with my mom, she just didn't want me to feel... She had grown up a chubby kid, and so she was, like, constantly encouraging me to, like, find ways to get rid of it and taking me to the dermatologist, but all it sort of did was create this complex, like, oh, I shouldn't have this. This is bad. This is ugly. And then... And so I started picking at it the same way I had with the flea bites when I was little. But it turned into self-mutilation. Like, just, I would, I would pick until I bled. Was there a satisfaction in drawing blood, or was that just, It oh. wasn't about the blood. I was trying to get out whatever was inside. And after I was able to, like, you know, pop the pimple, essentially, I felt cleaner. And I think... I didn't know why I was doing it at the time. I just knew that it felt better afterwards, that I felt better. I think 90% of the people listening to this know yeah. that release of popping a good pimple. And it's like, it's I, almost like you were your own surgeon and you're like, yeah, done. That was exactly Sweet. it. Like, I conquered that. I can't control anything else about my body or my emotions right now. But this I can do. And I kept doing it. So the visit with my dad happened sometime in January or February. 
So it went surgery in August, developing the skin problem, developing the picking problem, shitty visit with dad in February, and then in June I had to have another surgery, which they were hoping the first surgery would prevent. But the curve, the, the multiple curves in my spine were developing too quickly, and so they had to put two titanium rods in there. And that was, whereas the other surgery was like three days in the hospital, this one was two weeks. Mm. It was only supposed to be a week, and then there was a complication, like they accidentally punctured my lung, and fluid was getting in there or something. Wow. And so I had to stay an additional week, and it was just, it was a, that one was a nightmare. It was... I mean, my whole back had been split open. And that was when my mom broke down crying next to my hospital bed one night. And then another night I woke up and I didn't remember where I was and I tried to walk to the bathroom. And I, and of course it was like searing horrible pain and I didn't understand what was going on and all these nurses rushed in and I didn't understand why they were in my bedroom because I thought I was at home and just things like that and I slapped a nurse at some point which I don't remember but it was just a horrible stay in the hospital it was not any good and then that summer we went to visit dad and he takes us on a trip to Washington DC where I'm walking every day Like, see, like, he's just a dick. Like, more than anything else, he's just like a, a he doesn't think, he just he, shouldn't have been a dad. He just must be in so much pain that he is so lost in his bullshit. And, oh, and yeah. I relate to that on a on a certain level. Um, but, Yeah, know. no one is more sympathetic to my dad than me. <laughs> Sadly. Um, and every night, of that trip he spent scrubbing my arms until they were raw trying to get rid of the uh the kp the keratosis wow. polaris or i think that's what it's called you're thinking of a snowmobile oh yep that was it um my even my sister remembers like just watching him scrub at my arms and me being in pain and not wanting to do it. You must have <laughs> felt so... And don't let me put words in your skull, mm -hmm. your half skull, uh, your shaved skull. skull, your trimmed skull. <laughs> um, you have to have feel so betrayed and untrusting of your body. Oh my God, yes. That's the, the dominant feeling of my life. Mine too. It's just hating everything about it. What's your next surprise for me that's going to shame me and involve pain? Oh, yeah. Just like I, I kept joking. I mean, even at the time I was trying to use humor to diffuse this situation. I kept joking that next I was going to get breast cancer and I didn't even have boobs yet. I just... I just 
and I have asthma and I have a nut allergy and I just it was just like one thing after another my whole childhood if you if your body was like a conscious entity that you could have talked to then or now what what would you what would you say to it I'm sorry if this is a little new agey oh no I'd be I'm very new agey I'm a big goofball that way I then was super pissed at it so I probably just would have screamed at it like what else like what else is hiding just tell me so we can take care of it now like I don't I can't take another surprise and now I, I I think I would express compassion toward it I think about it if I had been born even 50 years earlier I would have been dead maybe at birth maybe at age six like these I had a number of problems that could not have been addressed by by science so that that compassion that you like to express what what would that what would you say Yes. Hey, hey, buddy, we made it. <laughs> like, it's just because it's been, nothing else has come up. That was kind of the last big thing. Like, thank you for sticking it out. I'm sorry I hated you for so long. Because I would say again and again that God was trying to kill me. My mom hated it when I said that because she thought I was going to bring it down upon myself. Was she religious? Nope. Just like a, a touch of superstition, mm-hmm. just like we all have. She was like, don't say that. You're going to, you're telling the universe that's what you expect. Yeah. Oh, you know what that sound means. It's time to give our sponsors a little bit of love. And uh, one of our sponsors for today is NatureBox. It's a subscription service that offers the ability to discover and enjoy delicious and nutritious snacks on a monthly basis. They ship to all 50 states, and uh, they also ship to P.O. boxes. And their uh, their products are made from wholesome ingredients. They're nutritionist approved. Um, no fructose, uh, no high fructose corn syrup. No partially uh, hydrogenated oils. No trans fats. No artificial sweeteners, uh, flavors, or colors. And um, I just want to read you a list of some. They have like over 100 different snacks, some savory, some sweet, uh, some spicy. I just want to read you a partial list. Um, Sea salt and cracked pepper pumpkin seeds, chili lime pistachios, Italian bistro pretzels, dark chocolate berry trail mix, lemon pucker pistachios. This is the one that, that, salted caramel pretzel pops. I have to get those. Cherry berry granola, southern barbecue sunflower kernels, peanut butter nom noms. I don't even know what a nom nom is, but I want one. Uh, this one sounds awesome. Sriracha roasted cashews. You guys know that. Uh, the hot sauce that you get in uh, Asian restaurants sometimes. That's what the sriracha is. Sriracha roasted cashews. That sounds so good. Apple orchards granola. And then my favorite, which I have sampled, dark cocoa almonds i'm telling you those are 
the mother load. If you're gonna if you're gonna place an order, definitely check them out. So um, go to naturebox.com with promo code Happy Hour uh, to get not ten. Not 20, 50% off your first box. It's time to get snacks that you can feel good about at naturebox.com with promo code happy hour. And our other sponsor is uh, dailyburn.com. It's uh, an online uh, website that has workout videos, a uh, variety of programs. And um, I wanted to, I got an email from uh, Megan Parkansky, who is um, a former guest and uh and buddy and she wrote me this email and I thought you know why don't I read this um, because I think it's it's like the, the the perfect ad for this and I asked her if I could read it and she said th- that would be fine so um, she writes uh, I registered for the free trial with your sponsor daily burn I'm on day 20 of my daily exercises and will definitely become a monthly member I made a commitment to myself at the beginning of the year to start trying to shed some pounds and get in better shape. But just like everyone else, I was clueless as to what to make part of my daily exercise regimen. Even though I'm so not the exercise video type, I decided, what the hell, it's free for a month, I'll try it. I was close-minded at first, feeling silly and goofy as I did these exercises led by a personal trainer type dude. But you know what? The workouts are incredibly effective. I woke up muscles that I probably haven't worked since I played sports in high school 10 years ago. I've worked out to daily burn every day since I subscribed, and though it's too soon to see any physical results, the important thing is that I'm sticking with it because it's structured, effective, and take only takes only about 25 minutes per day. Great sponsor. I'd recommend them to anyone. Couldn't have written it better myself. So thank you for uh, for sharing that, uh, Megan. And uh, so uh, for mental illness happy hour users, get the first 30 days free when you go to dailyburn.com slash happy hour. Daily Burn, the best fitness anywhere. So what's the next stage in your life or your... relationship with your dad yourself your self-image uh to power through i spent my teens just hating everything about myself i thought it was boring i thought it was stupid i thought it was lame i i thought it was ugly um how did your friends um i know you said in high school they had names for your in college in college college i made great friends what were what was your relationship to your peers when you were going through those operations around 11 or so were you um, open with them about it was it yeah some- I, I everybody knew this one really nice girl named amanda got a bunch of people to sign my yearbook and write me get well letters and brought it to my hospital room when i was conked out what was that like well part of it is i felt guilty because she was never really a very good friend of mine and i was like man like she of all people got this together i I should have valued her more oh Um, not like i'm i'm really pathetic more like i a little guilty like it was a combination of like "Mm, i wish one of the more popular girls would have done this for me like and then i was like oh i'm a shithead for thinking that and then i was like i should be best friends with amanda and so it was a combination of of things and then it yeah, I, I just, I wanted, I felt a little bit invisible, and I, I wished for more of that. 
I wished more attention. More attention. Yeah. yeah, I wished I had a a way of people knowing I I needed to feel supported without my having to ask for it. I think that's so common for us as kids and adolescents. We don't know, and we don't know how to ask to be, well, I should say many of us didn't know how to ask to be protected. You know, there were so yeah. many times that, well, I should say some really seminal moments in my life where I didn't realize until I got older that, holy fuck, where were where were my parents? They had conscious knowledge that if they were really thinking about me and what I must be feeling and going through, how were they not comforting me? How were they not protecting me from these yeah. things that were clearly, you know, I mean, they're standing right there. I mean, my dad was almost a non-entity during my second surgery. Like, I remember him not even coming into the hospital room, just like standing outside of it with my sister as if he he were afraid. And and my poor sister, she was only nine. And she she's told me later she thought I was going to die. She didn't know what was going on. I, like no one was fully explaining it to her. She was just home alone every night with my grandmother who went to bed at like 8 p.m. <laughs> and and my dad wasn't there for her. He wasn't there to like explain everything. My mom was just torn in half trying to be there for me and for her. And she felt like she was failing her. That was part of her crying. What an overwhelming experience that must have been for her. And then you throw into it... Uh, a spouse that has joint custody who is completely unreliable and like he was present but he wasn't he didn't know what to do and it's like your body can be there which i think a lot of people have trouble saying i had a shitty childhood because their their parent was in the room but it's about so much more than that yeah. it's about them looking at you in a way that you see that compassion and that they're consciously empathizing with you. You and, feel seen. Yeah, and I think a lot of parents that are sick like your like your dad, their blunt tool of showing love or protectiveness is to try to control everything. Mm -hmm. You know, which just then makes that kid feel like I don't know, a helpless object or, or just like... And he had no control in this situation, so he just yeah. checked out altogether. If it makes you feel any better, when I was in the hospital when I was 11 and had surgeries, you know, the most embarrassing surgeries you could have when, you're, when you're 11, they lowered my testicles. Uh, so, you know, you're just like... I had a hernia when I was 10. It's the worst. I had hernias also. And uh, it's, you know, everybody, you got to pull your pants down. They got to look at you. They're touching. Um, <laughs> I love that, that that one escaped. 
the, the the you mentioning that it's such a trail of medical horrors that oh yeah and the and the hernia when i was oh, 10 yeah i also yeah when i was six i had something called periorbital cellulitis and my eyeball swelled up to the size of a ping pong ball and i had to spend a week in the hospital and i have very vivid memories of being held down by like seven nurses because they had to put the IV in yet again because it kept coming out because i had tiny veins <laughs> it's just it's just one thing after another what what does it oh and by the way i, I, I was just going to finish my thing to ma- yeah, and no, make you feel a, a little um less alone about your dad ab- abandoning you my dad's train from work to home literally went right by my hospital and he i was there an entire <sighs> week for i think it was my 10th or 11th birthday and he never no. never came never never stopped and, and visited me and it never i just Ow. i didn't even think that was weird because i was just used to my dad not being interested in me and in my life um when when getting your your hernia hernia surgery was it oh i didn't have to have surgery oh you did it wasn't as bad as that actually the fact that i had a back brace i was of course hoping that having the hernia meant I wouldn't have to wear it for a little while but of course then I had to wear it for 24 hours a day because that was helping the hernia and oh, so see. it healed by itself I, see. I mean thank god I'm glad it's because you were bent over it was kind of forcing the intestine out of the it was just wall. like uh, the back brace is form fitting so it's just sort of keeping everything in anyway um, but it was the first time I had to wear the back brace to school I was allowed to just wear it when I got home um and so I would go to school and I would dare kids to punch me in the stomach. <laughs> That's awesome. And one kid did it and, and he just went, ow! And I was like, yeah. I'm a badass. I'm satisfied. <laughs> That's the meanest I've ever been in. No, not in my whole life, but it's certainly the meanest I'd been uh, up until like age 18. <laughs> so what, what? Oh, I had a crush on that kid, by the way. <laughs> you did. <laughs> kids are dicks. <laughs> Well, when you're that age too, your way of saying "I like you" can be so fucked up. You know, mm-hmm. picking on somebody, making fun of them. Yeah, because you don't have words to express. You're just like, Bleh. it's just a feeling in your body. Yeah, you don't put down the dodgeball and go. I find you enchanting. <laughs> uh, we did in the third grade. There was this kid named Ormond, and he was he was foreign, and he had like just moved to our school from like Argentina and he had this accent and he would come up to girls and, and he, he had a crush on me for a little while and he'd come up and go hey I have the hats for you <laughs> I was like what who are you did he have a tiny little third grade mustache yeah he may as well have in my memory yes and he was so small uh, so that kid knew what he was doing I'm sure he's done very well for himself <laughs> So what what was the next um, stage? So the next stage was that dad got remarried, uh, which uh, we loved her initially. And I, this was sort of the next uh, moment in my memory where I knew that I got a bad vibe from dad because my first thought when he got a girlfriend again was, oh, good. 
somebody that else. That takes the pressure off me. Oh, that's so sad. Isn't it? But it's totally understandable. It well, I, I wasn't even thinking it beforehand, and then I had the thought when he got the new girlfriend, and I was like, ugh, what was that? <laughs> why is that? Why am I thinking that? So that was your first inkling that something... After, yeah, after the, the night of creepy spooning that was that was the next like ugh. i guess i don't have a great feeling about dad so it sounds like there was a war within you because you still held out the illusion that you were going to get something from your dad that would make you feel loved yeah i mean it was weird i felt love but i wanted it to be the kind of love i felt from my mom and i was always thinking that i could shift it by something you did or by him waking up by my effort and what did you think that you needed to do to get his love to take a different form just constantly show that i was a good daughter be more perfect mm-hmm. how'd that turn out oh real well <laughs> it, it makes me uh, his number one target today <laughs> for every bullshit uh, request about drying out. I mean, and th- this is... He wants you to kind <clears throat> of be his rock? Yeah. To get sober? Yeah. Wow. And I, I kick myself now for having... Because I tried for so long to be that for him before I even knew he had a problem. I was always trying to strengthen our relationship and like I thought I could teach him how to be a good dad. I would write him notes in Father's Day cards and Christmas cards and the like where I thanked him for qualities that he didn't have, hoping that he would take the hint and have them. That is a gorgeous piece of fucked. I know. Just Just recently he asked for recommendations for tv shows and i recommended friday night lights and parenthood so i'm still doing it i'm still like oh that's this is be coach eric taylor be peter kraus on parenthood like that's a dad that's family and what crazy making it is to try to change somebody it's it's nonsense it's ridiculous it's and at this point, I have, I mean, and this, and this is so funny because we haven't even gotten to the point in my life where he started spiraling. Um, but yeah, I, I'm at a point where I have given up, but I still found myself doing that. Have you, because of your dad drinking you <laughs> in, um, and I don't find this much with men who were sexualized by a parent of of the opposite sex but i do find it from from women is they try to make themselves less attractive to get the attention away from themselves did you go through a period of that i went through a period it was weird i went through a period of wearing very large t-shirts and i still mostly cover my body completely like i'd I mean, I'm mostly straight lines anyway, but I don't wear tight-fitting clothes ever, and I feel 
like a big sore thumb if I ever do. Like just every, I feel like everyone's looking at me. And what do you think they're thinking about you? Either one extreme or the other. Either they're thinking about me naked or they think I'm ugly. And I can't handle either one of those things. <laughs> um, but I was also hyper aware of the fact that that is a coping mechanism for girls who have been molested. Like, I read Dolores Claiborne. <laughs> I, I w saw videos in elementary school where they'd teach you about, you know, neighbors suggesting you take your clothes off. And every time I read something like that, I would question, like, is that what I'm doing? Did something happen? What happened? Something happened. I'm have I have a physical, I'm having a visceral reaction to reading about these things or seeing these things or at the mere mention of molestation. I feel sick to my stomach. And I immediately think, I think that happened to me, but I can't remember. And it wasn't until I listened to this podcast that I was like, I don't have to remember anything. I was just getting that feeling from my dad, probably. And I hope anybody that's listening to this is getting comfort from this and there's light bulbs going off in your head and you're having aha moments and it's starting to make sense while your body sends you the messages that it does. Um, I love that you were sharing with me before we started recording that when you shared that with an intake person to get treatment for depression through your insurance company the intake person said that something didn't have to have happened it's your feelings that are important and i i say this all the time on the on the podcast you know hopefully we don't re-examine our childhood um to make our parents or anyone else suffer we do it so we can process the feelings we've been running from so we can stop suffering yeah but it's really hard to do that because we think there has to be like a lever thrown to go, okay, you can come in this room now where exactly you feel like you're you're valid. You're in the club. Yeah. You're in the molestation club and so you can feel the feelings that you already feel. And and what people who have experienced that gray area of being sexualized, objectified, violated, whatever you want to call it you're still left with the same message as the others. Mm -hmm. um, the ones who, where it was more uh, overt is your needs don't matter. Mm -hmm. My, what I feel is more important and you don't matter as a result. You don't matter. And what a painful message from a caretaker. And when my sister and I hit our teenage years is when the super overtly weird comments started coming, like us being at breakfast and him saying to us, him saying to my younger sister, now, see, you're more classically beautiful, and then turning to me and saying, but Lindsay, you're unique looking, and I think that's better. <laughs> what? All right, so now we both feel like shit. Thanks for that. He's a master. Oh, yeah. Real good. Um, constantly uh, commenting on what a great body my sister has. Um, suggesting that we go in the hot tub when we visit. And when wow. we tell him we didn't bring our suits, he says, well, you don't need a suit. Oh. I won't I won't be there. But it's like, well, I don't need Why would I want to oh. be naked with my sister? Like, I don't. 
the breadth of his <laughs> inappropriateness is about the only thing I would give him a trophy for. And I it's mean, so uh, there are so many shades to him though, because he's he's all over the place with like say, constantly saying he's proud of us, but then telling me boys don't like girls with scars. being supportive on the face of things but not really feeling that support like being very yes. just being this upstanding citizen while also secretly having this drinking problem he just he was and what it comes down to is that he was just living his whole life for himself and if you were a good reflection on him then you received praise for that, and if you weren't, oh my God. then he was mad at you. You just described what I have been realizing in the last eight months, because my mom's words were exactly like that, just waterfalls of praise, and then occasionally just cutting my legs out with the meanest fucking thing. Well, that's stupid. Or no, that, that didn't happen. That, you know, and just like this arrogant, dismissive tone, like I'm an idiot. And when I finally started listening to my body, I said, well, let's just take her words away and look at my life and the way she's treated me. And that's when the truth came forward. And I went, oh, my God, she doesn't see me. Mm -hmm. She doesn't see who I want, who I've wanted her to see my whole life is the kid who's hurting, the kids who's the kid who's scared. She only wants to see the things that make her feel like a good parent. You, I mean, you just described it so. It's like you're a player in the story of her life, yes. and so you better make it a good one. I think that I think that is like he's not his dad. So anything you say that suggests he's anything like him, ooh, are you going to get it? Really. Are you going to hear just an earful from him? Like Which what? is what started happening when his drinking got bad. We'd be walking up stairs in front of him, and he would just tap our vagina. What? <laughs> yeah, just like tap us on the vagina. And he would do it to our stepmom, too. And she was like, oh, yeah, I hate it when he does that. And I would turn in and go, don't do that. And he wouldn't listen to you. He'd do it again yeah. later. And he, he saw nothing wrong with it. He, it was just I, weird. And so I think that's he why... It, he would do it from behind? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's got to put his hand just be like, between your fucking he would, legs. Like, credit card us in the vagina. Oh, my God, Lindsay. It was super weird. Lindsay, that's... And I think that that's why... So by the time I got to college and I was, I was still a virgin, he would start, I think... I think he felt like us still being virgins reflected poorly on him. Like he, like we weren't healthy and he couldn't stand for that. And so I would constantly get these talks like, well, have you had sex yet? Like, la, 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 la. Well, Lindsay, uh, boys don't like girls with a lot of scars, so you should stop picking. Because I'm still picking at this point. I'm still picking today. I, that's I, what I went to this OCD class about is I'm, I can't, I still feel this revulsion towards my body and so when I was in college I started having nightmares about having sex with him and I would realize in the middle of it like wait this is my dad this isn't 
a person I should be having sex with. And in the dream, he would say, well, you should have lost your virginity. Wow. Like as if until I did, I belonged to him. I, I had dreams about um, having sex with my mom in, in high school, I remember, and waking up aroused and disgusted. Yeah. So you would you would feel the same thing. What did you think of yourself when you would wake up? And, and by the way, I've gotten many emails from from people who are like, what the fuck? I'm sure. Because you're... you're Brain's got to work that out. Can it find another way? I know. <laughs> Can, Can somebody just go? Oh, I don't feel comfortable. Well, I'll extract myself from the situation, and then all of those feelings will just go away. But now you just keep feeling them. Everything triggers you. And I had tried, like I was, and I'm still this whole time. My depression or bipolar disorder is going unchecked. And you're just having huge mood swings. Mm-hmm. What, what was, uh, how would you cycle? Um, well, it was either I felt normal and happy or I felt extremely depressed. So you didn't really experience I didn't experience mania, mania in, this, in the way that most bipolar people do. So I wasn't like, you know, disappearing and then coming back having gambled $3,000 or bought an insane purchase made an insane purchase um i would though my spending would kind of get out of control but it would be like i bought a dvd (laughs) but like i couldn't afford to buy that dvd that was the extent of my mania it was really just like oh this is i feel normal everything's fine and then i would dip into being depressed and i couldn't get out of bed and i wouldn't go to class and i'm scratching at my skin because I'm literally that disgusted with myself. I'm act like people talk about wanting to tear their skin off and I was actually doing it. And then in 2005 is when his life started to go off the rails. He had a girlfriend who was insane they would have public fights he was put in jail for domestic abuse (laughs) i don't know if he actually hit her at the time i was like oh there's no way he hit her and now i'm like "Eh, he might have hit her she's an alcoholic it's it's progressive disease yeah because he started to get really bad really fast and then and i would call and i was as soon as the alcoholism thing started again i went back to trying to be there for him even though he would still do things like come to Los Angeles and not tell me and be there to see business associates. <laughs> and I would find out, be like, what, you're here? <laughs> Don't you, would you like to see me? Just add it to the, add it to the, that breadth of um, uh, ways that. Yeah. So he started to go off the, and I'll, I won't tell every detail because this is, I know this is starting to get a little bit long, but so he started to go off the rails. As soon as he was starting to be jailed and ordered into rehab, I think that his whole ego just collapsed in on itself. Like cognitive dissonance took over and he was like, well, I, no, I'm not 
a person who has problems like these and his brain just cracked in half and he started drinking more and then the financial crisis hit in 2008 and a lot of his clients started to sue him because he's a financial advisor and he ended up owing his company like $300,000 like he was in the hole he hadn't made any money and things just started to get worse and worse and worse and we would beg him to go to rehab and he wouldn't want to go and I'd be like okay and we'd still talk to him and then like he was being foreclosed on and I'm here and he's in his city and I'm just going what the fuck is going on you used to make me cry about money and now you're falling apart like I wouldn't have ever thought that this could happen to him because he was such a dick about how functional he was about how how much better he is at life than everybody else and that is such an alcoholic um, trait uh, I heard somebody say one time we're uh we're long on arrogance and short on responsibility and that truth hit home like oh my god that's so fucking painfully true and as i'm sure you know underneath every arrogant person is a terrified little kid that, that they're a piece of shit and that's why i kept trying i kept trying with him all the time talk to him and I I would always because I know it's a disease I know that at least the alcoholic part of it he can't help it I wish he weren't such a dick I wish he were less selfish but I know that he obviously is the last person in the world who wants to be an alcoholic because his dad was one and so all I'm thinking back then is like oh he's in his own personal hell he used to tell me how he would, he was afraid that he would wake up one day and the stock market would be gone. And then that practically happened. And then suddenly he's as bad of an alcoholic as his dad is and maybe worse. Like he just is, he's losing it. And then last May, he texts me this. <laughs> I thought I loved 30 Rock, but I have never laughed so hard as I have watching Parks and Recreation. I'm really digging this show. Just wish I had something else to do. You know, like gainful employment, a purpose in life, can't kick the booze, and I am a total wreck. What do I do? You would not want to see me in this condition. Hate telling you this. Never thought it would come to this, but you're my beloved daughter and I need help. Can you come up for like three days until I get through the worst of withdrawing? I'm expecting some money and would pay for your airfare. So in the same breath of you would not want to see me like this, he wants me to fly up and drive him out. <laughs> and I say, I'm glad you're asking for help. Let me think about it and I'll let you know. And I talk to my mom and sister and I even talk to my employers. I'm like, here's the situation. I'm thinking about going, but I'm going to impose conditions. Like, I can't, he's, he's probably been drunk for two years straight at this point. So I can't just fly 
up there. Like he needs medical attention. Oh yeah, withdrawal. Withdrawal from that. Yeah, absolutely. Let alone, I shouldn't be going. <laughs> right. So, I call him and I say, "Here's the deal. I will fly up there on the condition that I can drive you to a detox place, and I will stick around until you're done, and then I'll stay with you for three days after that." And he says, "Nope. Been there." done that but I'd still like you to come I'm like well I'm not coming and I need you to know that this is your choice you you have to choose what to do right now I can't force you to do anything I'm not going to force you to go to detox but I'm saying that if you're wanting me to be involved in this you need to have someone with a degree in doing this like and medical supplies and drugs and you don't think and ha- someone who's not your daughter you don't think having an improviser there would help oh you know what i never <laughs> thought of that he was right i should have gone they do think on their feet got a yes and that healing he's got the dts based on that suggestion mm-hmm. we now take you to a psych ward mm-hmm. uh, got a location so so i really. want i want to talk we're we're starting to get to to where we need to wrap it up mm-hmm. but I want to get I want to talk about where you are today what you're thinking and feeling how you feel about yourself and if, first before you answer that how did you learn to set those boundaries even though I think it was not healthy for you to offer to go up there the fact that you put conditions on it um it clearly you're starting to learn how to how to set some some boundaries. How did, how did that come about? Did you see a therapist and they suggest that? Did you come mm, up with that on your own? I came up with that on my own. That's I just good. knew I couldn't do that. I mean, it was so, I got tricked into it the first time. I certainly wasn't going to volunteer. Like, I just, I'm, I'm a little bit older now. He's gotten bad enough that I know it isn't something I want to see. And probably, too, because you're an adult now and you are like realize what it takes to be an adult and what responsibility is like i yeah i've just i in the past couple of years i've started being kinder to myself in that respect of choosing things that are healthy for me and not choosing things that will make a good story later choosing things that will make me more financially stable instead of happy in the moment like just and yeah I think that that a part of that is just growing up Um, but I do just want to say he flipped out on me by text message Um, I listened to Kulop's episode recently and her mom's text to her of like you're my daughter and you owe this to me was almost exactly what my dad sent to me he was Mm -hmm. like I can't believe you won't do this for your father after all the plays I flew down and saw (laughs) and by the way he saw one play I would say (laughs) all of the plays you must have have sucked in it you must have really sucked in it in that play I was I had five lines and one flew over the cuckoo's nest and I sucked 
so you can't blame the man. But yeah, he just, I mean, he used the most basic of fatherly duties to try to get me to go up there. And I, st- I kept saying no. And I was like, you need to stop. Oh, I did want to. I, I, this really, ugh, there's I, so much more. This is. I love the parent, by the, the way, last. who acts like the basic their basic responsibilities as a parent were done as a favor to their yeah, child. Exactly. So I said, again, if you want help, I'll fly up there, blah, blah, blah. I think you need medical help through this. Nope, I know what they'll do. And I said, okay, that's your choice. Do not ask me again, or I'll cut off contact with you. You're pulling me into a drama that doesn't need to exist right now. And he said, hurting you, drama, You're starting to remind me of all the other women in my life. That's so telling. I wanted to throw up all over my phone. And I'm at my boyfriend's house at the time, and I keep getting text after text of just the most horrifying, mean things. And I'm shaking. Like, I'm not... I can't even... I can't cry about it. I haven't cried. Ever, maybe. I have not cried about it. And and so I, my body is having to do all of the responding for me. And I stopped talking to him. I blocked his number on my phone, and I didn't speak to him until last December when he was put in the hospital. By his own choice? Uh, no. He passed out and hit his head, and his blood alcohol levels were insane, and he was like on the verge of death and he had chronic pneumonia and he had like he had shit himself and was throwing up all over himself and his weird roommate took him to the hospital and then and so I call him and I have to convince him to stay in the hospital it's the first time I've spoken to him in like seven months I'm begging him to stay and I call all of our family members and I'm like he's trying to check himself out he doesn't understand what's going on please call him and tell him to stay and he stayed and then I went to visit family over Christmas and my cousin's husband snapped at some point while we were talking about him and he was like look you need to know that your father's a pimp and I was like what so apparently prostitutes are living in his house and he takes a cut of their money and that's how he's kept his house and hasn't starved because he hasn't had a job in like three years at this point. Oh. So I find out my, my dad's a pimp. Lord. And I can't, like, it's it's the most insane. So that happens. And then a month later, I get a call from my sister. I'm headed into a rehearsal for a show and I get a call from my sister, and she's like, I don't know where you are right now. Uh, I have some news about Dad. Call me when you're in a safe place. And I was like, well, you have to tell me now. I can't yeah. be wondering about this all night. She's like, okay, well, um, someone was murdered in Dad's house, and he tried to kill himself. And he addressed his suicide letter to you. Oh, Lindsay. I have not read it. He sent it to my mom because he clearly doesn't know what my address is. And so I'm like, well, he's just going to die soon. That's just what's 
going to happen. It's like, cool, thanks for telling me. I'll talk to you about it later. I have to go into rehearsal now. I'm just sitting in this rehearsal going, wow, it is amazing what a person can deal with. And I had almost like no feelings about it because it was so surreal. And yet right now he's doing okay. Is he sober? I don't think lately based on his text messages, which by the way, send me into a panic attack every time I get one. And if he, if it continues for too much longer, I'm, I'm going to have to ask him to stop texting me because I'm just not like I started talking to him again because I thought he might be about to die not because I was ready to but now the lines of communication are just open and he's texting me for TV recommendations <laughs> and and he has a job and I th like things are okay right now but I have no I'm just I'm in this like weird state of limbo of like not knowing what's going to happen next like before I sort of knew he was just on this downward trajectory and now it sort of seems like maybe he'll get better, but like, I don't know. Hey. What about you? Me, I need to start therapy. I know that I need to do that. What's keeping you from doing it? The dumbest thing, money. I don't feel like spending um, $5,200 a month on you, that right now. You, you don't have to. <laughs> and I to. know that's not a good You reason. don't have to. I went to a place uh, called the San Fernando Valley Counseling Center and they Friend will, recommended that place. It's awesome. Uh, I got a great therapist until she had to move out of state um, and briefly I thought it was to avoid me. Um, <laughs> and they will go down to as little as $25 a session. They have a sliding scale based on how much money you're making. That's the idiotic thing is $25 is my copay. I need to, I'm going to start going. It's just like... So it wouldn't I, cost you $5,200. I mean, if right? I went like once a week, it would cost me that much a month. But I thought you just pay your copay. $25 a session. If I go four times in a month, then that's $100 a month. I thought you said $5,200 a month. Oh, no, sorry. fifty. Two hundred. I got you. I was like, <laughs> I know that's the, that's like the tiniest amount, and it's not like I'm not making any money right now because I've had a stable job for the last three years, and I just keep not doing it because I'm like, well, I seem to be okay. <laughs> you know, and and my thought is that kids who are raised by narcissistic parents had to tell themselves they were okay, had to learn how to numb themselves either through shutting down or through fantasy. And that's why it's so hard for us to A, think we need help and B, think we deserve help. And look at that as a waste of money. Sometimes I'm afraid it's I, that I'm a little bit like my dad in that regard because when I... Right after I found out he tried to kill himself and I called him and I let him know that I knew because he was trying to keep it a secret. I begged him to go get help. And I pretty much thought it was going to be the last time I was going to talk to him. And he said, why should I go? I'm smarter than any of them. <sighs> Lindsay, you and I, you and I are smarter than any of them. 
I also, I asked him why he sent the letter to me. I was kind of hoping that he was going to admit something. And he said, because you're the one. And I was like, what does that mean? What do you mean I'm the one? You're the one who can handle it. I mean, he has put, the only people who have stuck around in his life are women. There have been no men around trying to help him. And he is so misogynistic. I mean, that comment he made, oh, you're just like every other woman in my life. No, I'm your fucking daughter. And just like every other woman, that's because those are the only people left. They're just like pieces on his chessboard. And I think it was, I had, I was so compassionate. And I think that he was actively trying to smash that to bits when he asked me to come help him dry out because I was the only one left who was talking to him about and not making demands and not making threats and not telling him to do things. And he had to push me to a place where I was so that he could feel sorrier for himself and and continue to justify his drinking. I'm going to say something that I hope isn't misconstrued as mean (laughs) but your idea of compassion I think is sickness I I because I understand what you mean by that yeah because it's it's it ceases to be compassion if it takes away if it drains us if it's uncompassionate or incompassionate I don't know what the fucking word is to (laughs) ourselves then it's really not compassion for that other person it's it's a form of sickness yeah, there, you should really only take that so far. Yeah. If you're injuring yourself by being... So why not cut contact and, and heal yourself? Well, and, I did. That's okay. when I did. And it's only because he ended up in the hospital that I started talking to him again. It's only because he like, almost killed himself. But what about regardless of what he needs? What about cutting contact with him, not based on how he's acting, based on what you need to do, that you need that space from him? To, to begin to heal and find out how to meet your needs and set boundaries. And, and right now, talking to him with the infrequency that I do, is that a word? Oh, well. Yeah. Um, my stomach made a noise. Um, I think is taking up less space in my brain than when I wasn't talking to him at all. But I do know that I need to go into therapy so that I am equipped if something like this happens again when I do talk to him. And I think it would be so helpful to be around other people whose stories are similar to yours. You could benefit so much from their experience and the comfort of being around somebody who's lived what what, what you're living. I I really hope for you that that you you do that you know i hope you start looking out for yourself and thanks august uh was gonna be my (laughs) was my goal like i gotta i gotta start that in august i hope you do well thank you for sharing all that stuff with me thank you for having me do you want to uh do a couple of 
fears and loves and take it out? Did you did you get a chance yeah, to do any I of those? Did. Do you want to start with your fears? Sure. Um, I'm afraid that I'll never stop picking at my skin. Uh, I'm going to be continuing a list uh, of fears by a listener, Deborah, and she says, I'm, I'm afraid that my husband will convince me to buy an RV and then we will never use it. I love that. <laughs> never gotten that one before. Oh, well, that's an endearing fear. Yeah. Uh, that I or someone I love will be raped. Uh, I'm afraid I'm much harder on my mom than I should be. I'm not doing what I meant to. I'm afraid of an avalanche sliding down on my car as I drive over the pass. I'll never get out of my day job. That my kids will describe me as volatile when they grow up and remember their childhoods. I'm a terrible person for not even wanting to help my dad anymore. I cannot wait for you to undo that fear. Um, I'm afraid as my daughters get older, they'll start to notice the lack of intimacy between me and my husband. Ah, that's a sad one. I'm getting less compassionate as I age. I'm afraid that when my baby starts sleeping consistently through the night, my husband is going to want to start sleeping in our bed again. I'm getting less intelligent as I age. I'm afraid that if my husband starts sleeping in our bed again, I'll never get another decent night's sleep. That I or someone I love will get Alzheimer's. I fear that the fact that my husband and I haven't had sex in seven years except once to conceive our third child is a very, very bad thing. That people think I'm ugly. And uh, let's let's wrap it up with one more. I'm afraid that all the medical history stuff I don't know about myself um, due to my being adopted. I would imagine a lot of people have that one. Yeah. What's your last one? That at the first sign of disaster, the country will head into extreme fundamentalism and women's rights will be the first to go and we'll end up in Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> your fears are awesome. <laughs> um, let's do some loves. Yes. Deborah says, I love the beautiful harmonies sung by a choir or an a cappella group. Doing something in a show that surprises the audience and gets a laugh. When my parents leave after a visit. That's the first one <laughs> we've had of that, and that has got That's to be surprising. universal. Yeah. Uh, making my sister laugh when we're waiting at the airport for a flight. Weighing myself before and after a big poop. <laughs> That's an awesome one. Uh, Miranda Hart as Chummy on Call the Midwife. Uh, finding some totally obscure fo obscure foreign song that I knew decades ago while an exchange student uh, seeing it on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> the ridiculous nicknames that my boyfriend and I come up with for each other. Oh, that's sweet. Uh, the blueberries and grapes we discovered growing in our yard uh, the summer after we bought our house. That's cool. That is cool. When my extended family gets together and my mom has had a couple drinks and seems to drop 30 years in age and she gets as sarcastic and funny as any one of my friends. I like that. Uh, getting replies from well-known and famous people when I contact them. Book authors, musicians, comedians, podcasters. That is cool. Um, looking back on my day and feeling that I did everything I was supposed to. Getting used to the temperature in a hot tub or hot spring. Watching the four Valjeans perform Bring Him Home at the 25th anniversary concert performance of Les Miserables. I need that to be more specific. Um, <laughs> you said be specific. Yeah, No, I know. I love it. I love specificity. Um, the fact that my husband never brings up the time I smashed all the dinner plates in a fit of rage. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Glowing reports about my kids at school conferences. Getting a compliment from someone I admire. The view of snowy mountains from my house. Going to Disneyland with my favorite people. And her final one is locking eyes with my little one as she nurses. That's a beautiful one. That is nice. 
I don't know that yet, but I look forward to it. Uh, I'll end with that part in Lilo and Stitch when Lilo says, Our family's little now, and we don't have many toys, but if you want, you could be a part of it. You could be our baby, and we'd raise you to be good. That's sweet. Lindsay, thank you so much. Thank you. Many, many thanks to uh, to Lindsay. And um, as I mentioned, I had recorded this, uh, this episode over a year ago, and... Uh, Sent her a little email, told her I was going to be putting the episode up, and asked if there was any updates I could share with the listeners. And um, she wrote back, uh, I'm doing pretty good, ups and downs. The picking has been worse lately, but I moved apartments and think that has a lot to do with it. The counter isn't wide enough to keep me a safe distance from the bathroom mirror. That sounds weird, but when I can get that close and see every single little perceived imperfection on my face, it ends up being a bad situation for me. I went off my Depakote and Wellbutrin, and I'm just taking Xanax now, and that's been working much better. Um, although I would be concerned because I don't think Xanax is meant to be a long-term thing. Um, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I am a hypochondriac. Uh, things with my dad are okay. It was his birthday on Monday, and so I called him, and I think it's made a, for a rough week for me. He seems to be doing a lot better, and I still have him blocked on email and Facebook, but it's always emotionally taxing to speak to him. Few and far between as it is. I know you know what that's like. I went in and spoke to a therapist in August who suggested a mindfulness workshop rather than regular therapy. After talking for a while, we both agreed that I uh, know what I need to do to manage my thoughts and OCD and feelings about my dad. I just need to put it into practice. And that talking about my dad on a regular basis might actually be counterproductive. Um, I find that surprising. Um, but then again, that's why I'm a jackass on a microphone and they're therapists. Uh, the book they based the workshop on is called The Mindful Way Through Depression. You've likely heard of it, but I found it really helpful. But of course, I need to actually meditate on a regular basis, which I'm not doing. I'm going down to part-time at work, and I'm optimistic that the extra time in the day to write or go to the gym or meditate, hopefully a combination, will make a huge difference. Thank you so much for giving us the update. Um, before I get to the uh, s surveys, uh, I want to remind you there's a couple different ways to support the podcast. If you feel so inclined, you can go to the website, mentalpod.com. That's also the Twitter name you can follow me at. And uh, you can make either a one-time PayPal donation or my favorite, uh, the recurring monthly donation for as little as five bucks. I don't know why I'll send the monthly donation. For as little as five bucks a month. And uh, once you set it up, you don't have to do anything to change it unless you decide to cancel or your credit card expires. And it's super simple. And um, you can also support us by shopping at Amazon through our search portal. It's on our homepage, right-hand side, about halfway down. doesn't cost you anything. Amazon gives us a couple of nickels. And uh, you can support us by uh, non-financially by going uh, to iTunes, writing something nice, giving us a good rating, or spreading the word through social media. Oh, you can also buy T-shirts and coffee mugs and coffee um, at, the, at the website, or at least the link is there. I think that is about it for the announcements. Let's get to, uh, let's get to some of these emails and surveys. Um, this one was a little disturbing to, to read, but you know what? I feel like I need to read it. I'm always afraid to read these. I get these every once in a while, and I, they're, they're kind of nightmare stories about therapists. But I feel like I wouldn't be portraying the accurate landscape of therapy out there if I didn't bring up the fact that there are some bad ones out there. And I'm not going to read this whole email, but I got it from 
um, somebody on the forum who calls herself Feferina, and she she basically wanted to know. Um, she just changed therapists, and she got rid of this old therapist. And here's some of the stuff that he did. He broke other clients' confidentiality to me. He uh, was and is still seeing both my mom and stepdad separately. He invited me to family events. I've stayed at his house. I've become enmeshed into the rest of his family, including his wife and kids. He came to some of my family events. He would answer his phone in session. He would have cigarette breaks in the middle of sessions. Um, he told me about an affair he was having behind his wife's back, and he was physically inappropriate. Long hugs, kissing on the lips, and would jokingly stick his tongue in my ear. That motherfucker should have his license revoked forever. And now I have compassion for that guy because he's clearly sick but I don't have compassion for that therapist if that makes any sense separating who the human the suffering human being is underneath the person who is fucking charging somebody to be abused um, so I, I have heard of stories like that and they are out there but they are in the vast vast minority um, so I don't want to that's why I've always been kind of reticent because you guys know I'm such a cheerleader for therapy and support groups. All right. This is from the Awfulsome Moments, my favorite new survey, uh, filled out by Nicole. And she writes, I was in my early 30s in Mexico on a lavish forced family vacation with my alcoholic mother, my father, who had abused my mother, my sibling, and I throughout my childhood and into young adulthood, my aforementioned sibling and her husband. My brother-in-law was reading, and he interrupted our 10 a.m. cocktail hour to mention the Tolstoy quote about families. Happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. My father immediately stated, emphatically and authoritatively, well, this is a happy family. And then his lips became thin, angry slits, and he stared menacingly at us, pure hatred in his eyes, daring us to disagree. Awfulsome. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Betty Boop, and uh, she's in her 40s, straight, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, um, was the victim of sexual abuse and, uh, and reported it been physically abused, been emotionally abused, um, mother who constantly told me what a piece of shit I was, every insult you can imagine, stupid, fat, lazy, loser, etc., etc., for 18 years, being dragged around the house by my hair or whatever else the bitch could get a hold of. I feel shame for still being in touch with her. She has led me on my whole life with the promise of lots of money when she dies. I'm an only child. My father passed away several years ago. I feel ashamed that I haven't worked harder and provided for myself as far as retirement and all that stuff, and that I am still holding on to the hope that she will leave me everything and make this lifetime of torture worth it. As I write this, I realize how pathetic it sounds, but I want that goddamn money. I feel like it's my compensation for the horrid shit that fucking bitch put me through and how she ruined my self-image, self-confidence, etc. Any positive experiences with the abuser? Sometimes I have a good conversation with my mother and I think maybe we could have a different relationship and then I feel like an idiot realizing that's never going to happen. Deepest, darkest thoughts, wanting her to die and just get the fucking money. Deepest, darkest secrets, 
I constantly stole money from my parents and grandparents when I was a child and teen. I was relieved when about two years ago my mother was on her deathbed. I was disappointed when she got better. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Fucking the shit out of my husband with a giant dildo as I feel as much anger as love towards him. Making him suffer physically and emotionally as I humiliate him hour after hour, whipping him and telling him what a piece of shit he is. And then in parentheses she writes, yes, I see the parallel. Uh, What if anything would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to look my mother in the eyes and say, you are the meanest fucking bitch And the worst fucking mother I've ever met, you ruined my life and you can take all your goddamn money and shove it up your scrawny, disgusting butt, you stupid cunt. That would make an awesome t-shirt, but it would have to come in an XL. What, if anything, do you wish for? Fame, fortune, immortality, the usual. Have you shared these things with others? Yes, but not the right people. How do you feel after writing these things down? Fucked up, weaker than shit, stupid, useless. Well, it, it saddens me that even after writing all of that, that you still hear your mom's voice um, in in your head. But, you know, my, my take is until we put in the work, the deep, deep work to heal, we're always going to feel like victims. And that's not to say that we weren't victimized by people, but eventually we have to take responsibility for our happiness and how we react to the world and it's fucking hard and it's confusing but it's ultimately worth it and i wish that for you to take control back of your life but man that's complicated because you're financially tied to her um but i think a therapist would would help help you through that um this is from the awfulsome moments survey filled out by kenzie and she writes Uh, I had to have been about 14 when I woke up to what I thought was a cat on my foot. The warmth was kind of nice, so I inched my foot closer to it, only to feel a harsh burn. I sat up and saw my bed lamp had been knocked onto my mattress, which was now slowly smoldering. I jumped out of bed and ran downstairs to wake my dad. In the most calm, matter-of-fact voice I could muster at 14, I said, Hey, Papa, don't be mad, but my bed is on fire. He mumbled a bit and started to yawn before he sharply inhaled. What? I stayed out of the way while he went ramming speed up to my bedroom. I had now begun to sob heavily now that reality was sinking in. I was sure I had just killed my family because the mattress was definitely going to explode. Open the back door, I heard from upstairs, and did so just in time to see my dad in his tidy whities sliding a mattress down our hall. As I hit the doorway... Uh, As it hit the doorway, it burst into flames, which startled my dad and made him slip on the back step, the flaming mattress landing on his lap. After a moment, he renewed his focus and continued the trek of hauling my engulfed mattress to the backyard. His albino, pasty skin was nearly indiscernible against the foot of fresh Michigan snow that he dropped the mattress into. He ran back in the house and proceeded to hug all four of us kids as a group, all about dad junk level height, still sporting the bacon-necked briefs. To this day, I cannot pass a Captain Underpants book without getting PTSD. (laughs) Thank you for that. This is from the Shame and Secret survey, and I just want to read an excerpt from this. This is from um, a woman who calls herself, don't even know what to call myself, and she's 15. I guess girl would be more appropriate than woman. Um, girl, woman, 
what if anything do you wish for? Uh, I wish to not wake up and have to chug a load of pills to feel sane. I just need help and somebody to cuddle and cry with. Have you shared these feelings with others? Never. Kids in my generation would rip me to shreds if they found out. Another thing is that some people think that it's impossible for me to have this shit because I'm black and I don't live up to the, quote, independent, strong black woman status. I wish I was white. Sending you a hug and promising that if you do get help from the appropriate people, it can get better. It can get better. Um, this is from the Awfulsome Moment survey uh, filled out by a guy who calls himself Spoink. And uh, he writes, on a business trip to Vegas, I got in a cab to go to the airport. Just before we're pulling away, the cab driver invites me to the front seat and offers to give me oral sex. I politely decline. <laughs> we sit in Vegas traffic together for at least 20 minutes on the way to the airport. A few years later, I shared this moment with my coworkers in an email because people were telling stories of business travel. Only one person acknowledged it, and he quit the company. I've been feeling awkward about it for a while. I love that awkward created awkward. Awkward was paying itself forward. Thank you for sharing that. I just want to read an excerpt from this shame and secret survey. And uh, this is from a, a woman who calls herself normalish person. And her deepest, darkest thought, I used to be a waitress and I had this weird fantasy about spilling coffee on a young child. Oh, and I have the urge to kiss almost everyone I talk to in the middle of whatever they are saying, regardless of gender. Um, thank you for that. Uh, this is from the Happy Moment survey filled out by a woman who calls herself, uh, is it IZB or LZB? I'm not sure. But she writes, my friend and her sister and I were sitting together one afternoon before a Thanksgiving trip to their home. It had been a while since they had seen each other and they were cuddling next to me on the couch and we were all talking. Sitting with them, hearing them laugh, seeing their smiles and sensing their shorthand and humor, my heart felt so alive and full. They had such a beautiful and loving bond that makes me so proud of them and to know them. I hadn't felt positive emotion in my heart like this in such a long time, and it always brings a warmth back to think about them in that moment. I love moments like that that are just sublime. Uh, this is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Every. Uh, he is 18. He's straight, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused, but he has been physically and emotionally abused, but doesn't uh, specify um, deepest, darkest thoughts. Sometimes I want the girl who I'm in love with to pay attention to me, love me, take care of me, and acknowledge my existence. I am very competitive, and I take every other male she speaks to as my contenders. I can't stand her paying attention to other people. Sometimes I wish this was all easier to me. Deepest, darkest secrets. I stalk my ex-friends in social networks to see what they are doing and who they talk to, and I've gone into their accounts to read their private messages. I have some of their usernames and passwords. I'm overly curious and nosy and very, very creepy, and I feel ashamed of myself, but most of the time, my curiosity and obsession with doing these uh, routine stalking sessions gets the best of me. Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I don't have many sexual fantasies since sex seems like a dirty and sort of gross thing to do. Uh, what, if anything, do you wish for? I'm wishing to accomplish the things I said I would accomplish this year. I just need to get better. 
Have you shared these things with others? I haven't shared much of these thoughts. Generally, people try to rationalize with me, but the problems here isn't flawed thinking, but flawed feelings. Usually, my feelings control me more than I can control them, and I act and think in stupid ways. How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel ashamed, whiny, and stupid. You are none of those things. But it, it sounds to me like there might be a, a, a little touch of uh, love addiction or love obsession in there. And uh, there's a book by um, Pia Melody um, that I, the name of it escapes me. But if you just do a search for Pia Melody um, on Amazon, you'll, you'll find, I think it might be called Overcoming Love Addiction or something like that. But I've, I've, I've heard great things about it. And you, you might find your story in those pages. Sending you a big hug. This is from the Awfulsome Moment survey uh, filled out by a guy who calls himself Chipper. And he writes, I played on a few of uh, my high school sports teams, but my parents almost never came to any games. They only came to one football game. During halftime, they came up to me and my mom said, you're number 25, but you looked so coordinated. (laughs) Oh, man. Nobody, nobody can give the backhanded compliment like a, like a mom. Um, Jessica, uh, this is a shame and secret survey filled out by Jessica and, um, she is in her twenties and I just want to read, um, an excerpt from it. Have you ever been the victim of sexual abuse? And she put some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. When I was about nine uh, or 10, I was spending the night at some of my dad's girlfriends at one of my dad's girlfriend's house. Um, Yes, there was more than one. I was left to hang out with her daughter, who was a few years older than me, and her friend. I think they were about 13. We all sat on the bed, and they decided to put on a movie which they had found hidden in her mom's bedroom somewhere. It turned out to be some softcore porn film. I was clueless to anything sex-related and didn't really know what it was, so they explained it to me, every detail of sex. The night proceeded to them talking about how watching it made them feel, which I assume is normal. Then they began masturbating and encouraging me to do the same, which I refused to do. A few nights later, I was taken to the same house and left alone with the same girls, plus another one or two. I can't remember. They were making fun of me for never kissing a boy or doing anything sexual with anyone. I can't remember how it led to them holding me down on the bed, but it did. They were trying to take off my pants and underwear. I remember them laughing, so I don't know how serious it was. I managed to get off the bed and run to the bathroom. I felt embarrassed that I hadn't joined in with whatever they were trying to do because I knew it felt wrong. So when one of the girls knocked on the door and asked me what uh, what was wrong, I lied and told them they had hurt me and I was crying because of that. I never told anyone about what happened and this memory only recently came back to me. I really don't know if it was serious or not. It sounds serious to me. Um, and I think they did hurt you. Um, you know, we we don't cry if we're, if we're not hurt. Um, well, at least about that, to cry those kinds of, of tears. And I don't think it matters what their reaction was, you know. It doesn't matter that they were laughing. It matters what, what you felt. And um, that would be a good thing to share with a uh, a professional or a support group. Sending you a hug, though. Um, this is from the Happy Moment survey filled out by Elsa. And she writes, uh, I sang my heart out at an empty bar in Thailand with a friend I just made a week prior. I sang... 
to all the Black Eyed Peas songs and I kicked ass. I was sober and I sang great. I felt like I could be on a proper stage and pull these songs off with ease. I want to do karaoke now. Yay. I love when when you get those moments when we just cut loose. Uh, when we were taping dinner in a movie the last, uh, the last season that we were doing it. And we knew it was going to be our last season. And uh, we used to do these we'd go to other cities uh, once a year and we'd do a batch of shows in that city and uh, there was some, our, our last trip was uh, to New Orleans and uh, I love that city and I just love the spirit of, of that place and I just remember consciously kind of telling myself soak this in really cut loose you know stop worrying about how you're coming off on screen and whether or not you're funny enough and you know whether or not you had a lame moment and just throw yourself into this and uh, that day we were in the French Quarter and we were taping and we were um, doing a bit with a band, uh, like a, you know, a marching band. I know there's another word for it, but um, it, we were just, we just cut loose. And, you know, it wasn't hard for them to cut loose because that's what they did as this band. But I just remember throwing myself into it and just going shut up the part of my brain that's telling me that I'm a stiff white guy and I'm making a fool out of myself and it was fun and then it started raining and we didn't care that we were we were in the rain and I'll just I'll just always always remember that so that uh, I love reading that last one for some of us that's a really hard place to get to 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 lose ourselves and uh, to not worry about what others are, are are thinking of us this is from the shame and secret survey filled out um, by a woman who calls herself Brave Little Turtle. I love that name. That name alone just kind of broke my heart. Um, and I just want to read uh, two excerpts from this. Um, she writes, My marriage has been on the verge of falling apart for the last year. I sometimes fantasize about disabling the brakes on my husband's vehicle so that he would be killed in a car accident and I can get out of the marriage without being labeled a total bitch. I would never act on it and the thoughts are always followed by imagining my two-and-a-half-year-old son ending up in the vehicle with him. I fantasize about cheating on my husband with a woman. I've always been in the realm of bisexual and sometimes feel like I missed out by marrying a man. I think about just walking out uh, of my life, packing a small bag and leaving everything and everyone behind, including my husband and son, not telling anyone where I was going, but just disappearing, finding a remote place where I could find a job to survive and just living a simple life. What, if anything, do you wish for? To be confident in who I am as a person so I can stop apologizing for just existing and taking up space in a world I don't feel worthy enough for. And for my husband to really understand that depression, anxiety, anorexia, and other mental illnesses are not a choice. Even when he is trying to be supportive, underneath his resentment is always building because he believes that if I just loved him and my son enough, I would be happy to be, quote, cured. That is a big-ass hurdle, having a spouse that believes that. Um, you know, my thought is go to a, a um, support group for people who suffer from mental illness and where you can have the, that loved one there too so he can hear um, this talked about more, you know, from points of view other than just his or find a book that, you know, but that, you know, that's a, big ass hurdle. I don't know how intimacy is possible if you're if you're living with somebody who ignores such a major part 
of of you. Um, this is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by Zoe, and um, she is bisexual in her 30s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Um, I just want to read a couple excerpts from this. Um, you ever been emotionally abused? And she writes, not sure. I've never been physically abused, but I'm unsure if I've been emotionally abused. My dad was great, and I always had everything that I could have needed, but my mom was difficult to handle. She had a habit of reminding me that she never wanted to have me, that she resented me for being born, and that my existence made her so miserable that she tried to commit suicide. Let's just soak that in for a second. You weren't sure if that was emotionally abusive. It is unbelievable the levels we will go to make excuses for our abusers. <clears throat> that one just just blew me away. Any positive experiences with your abusers? Uh, yes, my mom was not all bad and I know she had a very rough childhood herself. It is especially tough now that I'm an adult and she is on medication and being treated for mental illness. She is very different now and has improved for the better. I don't want to bring up the past and dis disturb this time of calm, but I also feel like, for me, it's the elephant in the room. It is hard to say I love you to someone who spent years telling you how much they hated you, and it is hard to reconcile my love for the person she is now with my horrible memories of who she was to me before. I'm very conflicted and mostly just choose to shut those old memories away for the sake of my sanity and our current relationship. It's got to be really hard, and I don't know how healthy that is, just trying to bury that. I don't know if you need to share that stuff with her, but I think you need to share that with somebody. Darkest thoughts, I fear I'm screwing up parenting. I fear that I will become my mother, and I'm terrified my children will be subjected to the same pain I was. I'm not like my mom, but I'm not perfect either. I feel like I struggle because I never learned what a healthy mother looks like. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Uh, one I recently realized is having sex in a cemetery. I'm not an exhibitionist, so I would never actually do it, but the thought of it is a huge turn-on. Not the being in public. That part I would hate. Just something about the cemetery. Uh, what, if anything, do you wish for? I wish I liked being married to my husband, but I don't. I chose someone chaotic because that felt safe in some weird way. You don't have to confront the sad parts of your life when you're with someone who has them too. They are just normal. But now that I'm older, I just wish I could be away from the chaos. I yearn for normal. Thank you for that. Sending you some love. This is from the Awfulsome Moment survey, filled out by Scamber. And uh, she's in her 20s, and she writes, I managed to get a firefighter to take me to his hotel room for a one-night stand, a feat I was proud of considering how shy I usually am, and he was very attractive and way out of my league. We proceeded to have shallow, meaningless sex, during which he was not a very considerate lover and kept taking pictures despite my protests. That's not funny. He finally came on my face and ever so gently cleansed my face with the washcloth, such that I remembered thinking, he is a gentleman after all. <laughs> he went to the bathroom to clean himself off when I realized I had my opportunity of a lifetime to not end up online in naked pictures. I threw my clothes on in two seconds flat, grabbed his camera, and sprinted from the hotel room and the several blocks to my room, all the while terrified he'd catch me. I deleted the pictures and decided that I could safely cross fuck a fireman 
off my bucket list. Thank you so much for that. If you guys haven't taken the Awfulsome Moments sir, if you don't have one, don't take it. But if you have one, please, please share it. Um, and this last one is an Awfulsome Moment uh, filled out by Suze. Uh, she's in her 20s, and she writes, I thought I'd share two complimentary stories because awfulsome is best in double doses, right? One, when I was 12 years old, my addict father died of an Oxycontin overdose because my mother and I were estranged from him and that side of his family. My grandparents allowed us no part in his funeral proceedings. They did, however, let his mentally ill and narcissistic brother write the lengthiest, most grandiose, and incoherent obituary our town's newspaper has ever seen. It both included a full paragraph about me and an about the author section in which my uncle described himself as a doctor and a personal philosopher. He is actually neither of those things, barely having a high school diploma. I can't even imagine how many people read my father's page-long obituary and laughed their asses off at how ridiculous it was. Two, several years later, my mother and I were volunteering at our local church, which was serving as a Red Cross medical clinic and temporary shelter for Hurricane Katrina evacuees. To our absolute horror, we discovered that my mentally ill uncle was also there, dressed in a lab coat. It was even monogrammed, and he was impersonating a doctor. He was walking among the refugees, taking blood pressure and who knows what the hell else, totally undetected by the real doctors around him. I will never forget my mother's face as she explained to the head physician about the imposter in our midst. His first response was, I was wondering why he was struggling so much to use the blood pressure cuff. Oh, my God, do I love those awfulsome moments. Thank you so much. That just, ah. Well, I hope, uh, I hope if, you've, uh, if you've listened this far uh, to this episode, you, you're feeling a little better about whatever it is that you're going through, and, um, and you know that you're, you're not alone. And, uh, and that there's hope and there's help if you're just willing to, to get outside your comfort zone. And um, thank you so much for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely.